Some of you don't know the name, but that's that guy from the Hunger Games. Transformers the last night. Beauty and the Beast and Hello and welcome to another episode of Standing Stanley Tucci. I'm Hannah. And I'm Stan. <laughs> no, I'm David. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about the Stanley Tucci in his early television uh, appearances. Yeah. We, we wanted to kind of group some of these together so we're not just doing one credit per week. Yeah. But we're talking about his one-off appearances of the 80s on television. Yes. It's interesting because, you know, I feel like the past two weeks we kind of got some meaty Tucci roles. You know, like he, he had a lot to do on uh, Miami Vice and then last week he had a lot to do in Monkey Shines. But, you know, we're, we're back to more of, uh, like, bit parts with with these yeah. three sh- episodes that we're going to cover. And and also a lot of criminals, you know. Yes. Criminals and cops. Those are, like, what Italians can be in the late 80s. That's it. That's all they're allowed. <laughs> Very limiting. Uh, but you want to jump right in with the uh, crime story? Yeah. Do you want to talk about just, like... What the show is. Yeah. Yeah. Crime Story. It's uh, It ran for two seasons. Uh, it, it's just a story about uh, this Chicago guy, uh, this federal agent who's tracking this one mobster, Ray Luca. And he's tracking him all over the country. It's a game of cat and mouse. And they end up in Las Vegas for this episode. So it's called The Battle of Las Vegas. <laughs> season one of Visit 17. And I'm doing a, an exaggerated Chicago accent, but it's not even that exaggerated compared to the legend Dennis Farina who is he breathes Chicago he is the essential Chicago cop actor and you're allowed to say all this because you lived in Chicago (laughs) (laughs) well I don't no one in Chicago actually talks like this so where does he get his accent from I don't know just from the past he sounds like um (laughs) Like J.J. Bittenbinder from the the John Mulaney uh, uh, bit where he's talking about an old Chicago cop who came and talked to him about street smarts. Yeah, it's it's how our our parents' generation spoke in Chicago. (laughs) Or their parents spoke in Chicago. (laughs) Right, so he's Lieutenant Torello. (laughs) And he's chasing down Ray Luca in Vegas. And there's some union rabble-rousing going on, huh? You want to talk about the unions? Yeah, so... Labor? (laughs) This one is just, it's very, like, the mobs coming in to infect the union. And so (laughs) the union has got to fight against the mob, but also one of the leaders is corrupt. But then the feds are there to save them. Right. To make it, to make the union what it was meant to be, you know? It's this, it's this kind of 80s style of, of leftism, which, you know, is occurring under strict neoliberalism and Reaganism. Right. Where it's very uncouth to support unions at all because they're seen as these, like, greedy, corrupt organizations. But this is sort of appealing to the aspirational values of unions. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, it, it's interesting because it seems like the show is sort of set in, like, the 60s you know like it's set like no it's set in present day it's supposed to be it's not really it's supposed to be what's happening right now they just all look insane because it's very cheesy television and it's vegas i don't know like literally it looked like it was the 60s (laughs) maybe i'm wrong do you want to check real quick It is set in the 60s. Okay, I'm wrong. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely set in the 60s. I just thought that they were being silly. (laughs) 
but God. It, but that's what makes it so perfect that it's you know Dennis Farina because he acts like a '60s cap in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, he nails it. Um, so this this episode has very little tooch in it. Right, almost none. Yeah. and this is I think technically his first TV appearance. What really? It, or maybe it was the first one he filmed or something. But yeah, it it ends up kind of coming out I think slightly before his uh, his Miami Vice appearance. Mm. All right, that makes a little bit more sense. Because he, he sort of plays just like this generic mobster type, you know? Oh, not just a mobster, a bomber. Yeah. He's a he's one of the bomb dropper guys. Yeah. Uh, so he's coming in to sort of pretend like he's working for the union, and he's a rabble-rouser terrorist guy who's going to try and blow up one of the casinos while they're going on strike in there. This, this is another wild thing about this episode, is that there were zero women in this union at a Vegas hotel workers union which no like, they w- they probably would have been all male in the 60s because really? I don't think that I don't think that waitresses were allowed to unionize this was for the uh the, the, this looked like kind of like a teamsters union kind of thing like mm. people driving trucks and stuff all right all right they were really unclear actually with who this union was made up of it might have been yeah. mostly like dealers who I guess also would have been mostly men in those days yeah I don't know historical accuracy is always like a moot point when it comes to television because it's like they could have put women in there they chose not to right exactly exactly but i i don't know i think that's a point worth raising crime story in 1987 very much so but yeah so tooch sneaks into a casino plants a bomb then later they're able to track him down and he gets very violently threatened by the federal cops oh man it's supposed to be very gritty you know like you know these cops come in to rough him up and they point a gun at his head and they shoot his pillow but they like find him while he's like napping on the couch which is like so terrifying and he's like you if I tell you what's going on with Ray Luca, he's gonna he's gonna get make me dead. And then yeah. you know, but of course it's like, well, well, we're gonna make you dead either way, so you better tell us there. And like, <laughs> he does. And then they make him dead. <laughs> And yeah, the episode literally ends with him like hanging him, well, presumably being murdered, but being found hanging. Right. It's a sort of Jeffrey Epstein situation. Nobody yeah. really believes he committed suicide. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he was found hanging in, in his jail cell by, you know, a random prison guard. And it's like, ah, the chase for Luca continues. We can't finger him on this one. Drat. <laughs> yeah. Ray, Ray Luca, he's like the really, the really evil guy um there's this one scene where he like gets this one guy uh he puts he puts the bag over his head and then like starts shooting his gun straight into the air just to scare the shit out of him um and that guy was played by ted levine who you might know as uh lieutenant stottlemyre from from monk the tv show monk anyway i don't watch enough monk (laughs) they make a joke about how he doesn't look jewish which is also true of him in real life (laughs) he calls himself a hillbilly jew but uh you know that's beside the point he, he makes it out okay yes he he makes it out alive this is one of those like small moments that isn't entirely episodic so you know i was kind of like what's happening here <laughs> as the episode played out but once i realized that this is 
is slightly more serial than I previously assumed it it all came together. No, it's very serial, yeah. But yeah, so that's pretty much the tooch in this one. In the end, the union is saved thanks to the feds. Right, because literally a cop like walks up and is like, this particular union guy who's running for union president, he's in league with the mobsters. And you can believe me because cops always support unions and never bust unions. And they're all like, yeah! Yeah. Let's save the union. <laughs> so very uh, aspirational, very like, you know, cops and unions can coexist kind of thing. Right. The aspirations of unions are higher than their corrupt realities. Right. So it's, again, I think it's that very sort of covert leftism that's very suppressed leftism that exists in the 80s. Yeah. So so next on the list is the equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> This is some real 80s shit, too. <laughs> yeah, this is the weirdest premise for... Like, it's not even that weird, but it's... It's not even a premise. It's just there's an old guy and he equalizes things. Well, he was, like, a former spy and has, like, a network of, like, other former spies, I guess. And he just does Robin Hood leverage <laughs> type shit. He equalizes. Just just accept it. His, his He plays Robert McCall. He provides equality. He's very British, he's very nice, and his opening has him in all silhouette with like... 80s laser beams and like high beams coming off of his car behind him. Perfect. Also, when we first see him in this particular episode, he's just wearing like a tuxedo and like strolling into his apartment <laughs> to like pour himself a brandy. And I'm just like, geez. Because <laughs> he's British. That's what British people do. But I feel like this show was just created to like appeal to like other 60, 50 year old men who are like, I could be a hero for justice. I <laughs> I can do it. I still look good in suits. Yeah. I'll save the ladies. You know, like... I think it's more for British people because... When do, when do British people get to be the heroes on American television? That's Occasionally. Occasional. So I like that the, the that each episode of this show opens with like a cool little montage of like what's going to happen. Oh, I hate that. That happened in uh, the, the Battle of Las Vegas too in, in Crime Story. Did it? I missed that. Yeah. And it, to me, it's just like so jarring because like now the only time shows open with montages is if... It's a previously on. Right. If they're doing previously on uh, and sort of catching you up. But this whole like here's basically the highlights of what you're about to watch maybe it's just like boiler culture but i'm like i'm literally about to watch it i don't need this (laughs) you know i've already committed right i thought this was gonna be like more mob stuff but it turns out to be very not mob related crime yeah the crime story all mob equalizer it's just corrupt politician right it's just the dirty italian (laughs) italian (laughs) assemblyman (laughs) so it's just like you assume that he's dirty because he's young and Italian <laughs> and therefore couldn't have gotten there on his own merits. Right. So so this is... Well, It's it seems like he maybe wasn't super dirty before this, but like uh, this is like his big... His Breaking Bad moment. Yeah, yeah. Tucci breaks bad. <laughs> so clearly another villain, another Italian-American guy in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, New York politics, uh, a rough game. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so he is trying to blackmail a senator uh, into retiring so that he can run in his position with uh, the former senator's support. Right. Uh However, his secretary finds out what he's doing and, you know, catches him. Right. I don't know if she knows immediately what's going on because I literally don't know immediately what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it seems like she just notices that he's got, like, this big wire transfer from, like, the Bahamas. Yeah. And that he's got this this photo of this, like, known criminal or something. Or, no, he's got an incriminating photo of uh, the senator. Senator Blake. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so she goes to, like, make photocopies of it and then it's like oops you got caught by the tooch the tooch is too smooth for you and then there's some really terrifying shit where a guy breaks into her apartment and drugs her and frames her as like a drug addict so she gets committed which this whole scene was like a lot to watch not not a huge fan of that no glasses mcbaldy going after her this this hired this like hired gun who also works at a mental hospital who just this is just what he does i think i think he like infiltrated the mental hospital i don't think he does because nobody acts like he's not supposed to be there do they no but it's like you know no no hire date on his paperwork is a a comment that the equalizer says at one point oh apparently i'm having trouble following this very simple (laughs) plot but like i don't know it's You're just kind of entranced by the the kitsch of it, the 80s kitsch. So basically, the equalizer has to get himself committed. Right. But why, though? Why can't he just go and, like, say that he's her father or something? Well, because then they would know that a visitor came to see her, uh, you know, because Stanley Tucci asked, like, did did a a British guy come to see her? And the guy on the inside is like, no, no, no visitors. Can I just kill her already? (laughs) (laughs) So weird. Enough of this framing her. It's very strange. So, you know, he approaches a psychologist friend of his, I guess, that that he has. And the whole time I was watching, I was like, this guy, he seems so familiar. Like, why do I know him? And then David looks it up and it's Wendell Edward Pierce, <laughs> uh, who you might know from The Wire as Bunk. From a little show called The, the Wire. Wire. Plays uh, Jimmy McNulty's trusted uh, partner and sort of best friend. He's very drunk a lot. and uh, Is he a, is he a whomst we also, Hannah? Is he another stan? Yeah, he's, he is my whomst we also. I love, because <laughs> he'll just pop up in like random things and bit parts, you know, post The Wire. Like he's definitely had some, some leading roles. Yeah, he was in Selma, right? He was in... He was in Selma. He was in... Uh, uh, Trome, which was David Simon's follow-up to The Wire, which uh, was less popular, but it was about New Orleans. And yeah, like, he's just great. Definitely a regular on Ray Donovan, if you are my dad listening to this right now. Um... Shout out to Uncle Mitch. <laughs> Or he played William Bradford on Num Threers, otherwise known as Numbers, from like oh, 2008. Oh, he was in Numbers. Jeez, oh, love Numbers too. What a <laughs> what a weird, great show. Yeah, no, he he's done quite quite a lot in his time on the screen. Yeah, was this one of his one of his first roles? He plays a lot of cops and stuff. You know, like he's in Horrible Bosses as a detective. Oh my God, he's in Twilight Breaking Dawn Part <laughs> Two. 
Didn't know that one. Is he a cop in that, too? I don't know. It says Jay Jenks, which to me seems like probably a cop. Sounds like a cop to me. Yeah, but this was like his like fourth role like ever in The Equalizer yeah. is Dr. Wolf. And he was only ever in one <laughs> other episode of The Equalizer. Wait, really? So like they play it like he's like this guy that he knows from his his old days as a as a spy but he's only in two episodes. <laughs> That's kind of crazy to me, because the way that he is framed in this one episode, you know, which is all we have for context, right. it really seems like he is going to, like he is a recurring important character. That's what know? I thought, but then I checked, and he's only in this episode, and then one later episode. I mean, this is his introduction, <laughs> Dr. Wow. Wolf. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, well... You know, hats off to Wendell Pierce this week's Toomst We Also! <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really confused in this episode by every plot point, so I'm yeah. just gonna, like, lay out that I'm I'm still confused about why doesn't Glasses McBaldy just kill Cindy, like, immediately and then and then make it look like suicide? Because that'll be suspicious. But the, isn't it more suspicious that she's, like, ranting and raving about someone trying to kill her and then she commits suicide? I mean, that's what paranoid people on drugs do, David. It's the 80s. Drugs are a huge problem. But, like, why didn't he just kill her at the very beginning like to start i well because that's even more suspicious how is that more suspicious you know she just kills herself out of nowhere like what's going on there but but she you know was a drug addict out of nowhere Uh, it's whatever you can plant whatever i know it's all very dumb well okay but (laughs) so basically you know the equalizer figures out that stanley tucci is a corrupt politician who's gonna blackmail another person and uh the secretary who's at this point been committed tells him this while in the asylum and then he just gets released after like a day because they look him up and they find out that he actually was a spy right no they don't (laughs) he just like the dr wolf contacts them is like oh actually like i'll just pick him up he's fine (laughs) like doesn't make any sense and then they're like hacking computers in tucci's office to like print out a bunch of papers saying resign and hacking the computers to flash the word resign on them. They just do like psychological torture to like freak him out enough so that he orders a hit on the woman and then like that's supposed to be proof that like someone actually is trying to kill her or something. Right. They got a recording of it from uh, Fat Glasses Bald Man not to be confused with Glasses McBaldy who is a different (laughs) bald guy with glasses. Um, But we also have that amazing fencing scene. Which scene is this? The scene where Stanley Tucci fences with the senator and they're like fencing for his job and it's only after that that he starts blackmailing him by saying that he like killed someone it was like a vehicular manslaughter thing or something but he was never charged well you know you gotta have a premise and plausible deniability when you're blackmailing david you know i don't know i just went to this to the sports club with the senator yeah of course you've got to have fencing and you gotta have yeah. some rapport but yeah he's he's he, they're fencing and he does it beautifully he's a beautiful fencer a beautiful fencer though he loses both times <laughs> but it's not about winning and losing it's about getting elected <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So then he uh, does the blackmail, and the guy's like, oh, I, I can't do this, but I guess I have to. Ah. They finally get uh, Cindy out of the mental hospital and away from the baldy McGlasses trying to kill her, who just kind of runs away, and they don't really try and chase after him, but okay. 
And so they're out and they go to this press conference where finally Senator Blake is announcing that he's stepping down and endorsing. But then the equalizer comes in. <laughs> with her sings. oh that's the that's the thing so they have the the mental uh the guy who runs the asylum call the senator and like straight up just lie to him and say oh yeah no she committed suicide so that he like thinks she's out of the picture and is like <laughs> safe with the go-ahead so like she shows up and he's like what <laughs> how is she alive right this extremely performative nervousness like yeah tucci is really playing it up he's just uh uh and i will be running for Senate and uh, 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 and then uh, Cindy gets the better of him by just yelling that he's a murderer slash blackmailer slash just all around terrible guy. But then he just like he he's like security, please please call this. She's a crazy uh, woman. She's, she's crazy. crazy woman. She sounds crazy, and she does kind of sound crazy. She, uh, she does sound crazy. But there's some you know corroboration going on. Well, right, because the senator, so the equalizer had approached the the blackmailee, um, <laughs> and was kind of like, you gotta come clean and corroborate her story. And he's like, I can't. My family doesn't know I killed a guy. Even though he was, like, not convicted of this crime. So, like... Right, but only because he paid off the judge. So, he really did kill that guy. I guess. So, he's not a great guy either. But but he's not so bad a guy that he would let Cindy be recommitted on his behalf. Yeah, so... Then, literally, the Equalizer goes up to Tucci and, like, tosses him to the ground, where he is then swarmed (laughs) by reporters. It's a very wild, just over-the-top episode in general. So, how would you compare this role to, you know, for example, uh, DeMarco, you know, from Miami Vice? I like Miami Vice better. Yeah, he's more, he's he's definitely more animated in that. More uh, dynamic, more charming. Yeah, more dynamic and charming for sure. I think he's also more subdued. Like, I think Stanley Tucci's best roles are the ones where he's not necessarily going over the top. You know, like he does in, like, Hunger Games. Like, this is not a favorite Tucci performance of mine. Which might be a controversial statement. We don't know, but... Uh... I don't know. It's not my favorite. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we're more we're more refined Tucci tastes. We like it when he's yeah, more ooh. subtle, like a fine like a fine uh, Bordeaux more so than a right. than a white white wine spritzer, you know, the more unrefined palate. What was his uh favorite favorite smell? Is it fresh basil or fresh garlic? Fresh basil and sautéed onions. Mm, yes, uh, exactly. Do you want to do the do you want to do the the Tucci fun fact now? Yeah, yeah, I just want to say just say real fast that, you know, Tucci is like the the perfect sautéed onions and fresh basil to any show's main course you know (laughs) right you would never just eat (laughs) sauteed onions and fresh basil i mean you could it would be delicious but you would kind of want a little bit something more so i don't know though but uh yeah what is our fun fact for this week if it's not (laughs) his favorite smell all right what the tucci fun fact is tucci's item that he always travels with he never He never travels without his electric razor to shave his head. Classic. Makes sense. He's he's all about that grooming. You know, he could never be (laughs) stubbly, you know, on his on his top top beard, as we call it. Yeah. (laughs) His top of head beard. 
Well, and I also love that he's like, I, you know, I can't ever use the onset razor. You know, I can't let anyone touch me up. It's just, I have to shave my own head. I'm an expert at it. That's what he does. Now, I think that his performance in The Equalizer is like him doing kind of a bad Robert De Niro impression. Did you get that at all? <laughs> you know, he's very like, uh, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can do that. I'm very... Very calm, very this, but also very over the top. The really thick accent is back, very especially thick. compared to his character in Monkey Shines. He's very thick, very De Niro, very yeah, very coming in. I could do that. I could do that too. And and speaking of thick accents, <laughs> I think it's time to talk about the street, David. All right. So this is not actually a one-off. This is a whole series of syndicated cop shows shot on video with only four actors in the whole show it's the street it was it was filmed in newark of all places newark new jersey you know uh, where the where the cory bookers live um (laughs) and and uh it was this long-running show it it was it aired five nights a week in syndication 20 minute episodes uh just about cops not like being cops but just like living their lives (laughs) But it's called The Street. That's yeah. the thing. So here's like a press release about it from the 80s. This is from like the LA Times. And it's like, The Street, a poor man's Miami Vice from Newark. <laughs> and it was it was from two writers who wrote for Miami Vice. And it was like a late night show. So like, you know, 11 p.m. Tuesdays on KCOP Channel 13. You know, right. like just your random syndicated uh, local news station. Just filling a time slot. <laughs> and uh, they're just kind of like, they describe it as an, an a half hour ramble through the humdrum routine, the lowlifes and the occasional comedy of grief faced by two pairs of cops on squad car patrol. It's it's kind of like that Australian comedy cop show No Activity which recently got adapted in the United States where it's huh. just, you know, silly cops chatting each other up while nothing happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but we could only find one episode of this cuz you know, a lot of syndicated shows, especially ones that were shot on tape that were very cheap and not very popular, they just yeah. would record over the tapes, you know, cuz they're never going to show these again. They're not going to get Resyndicated or syndicated right. elsewhere, so you just you tape over them and then you don't you don't sell them to Netflix, <laughs> so they're just gone. There's no DVD release. Yeah, yeah. We tried. I think you tried everywhere, both legal and illegal, <laughs> yes, okay. uh, on the the internet. And I I can't. I reached out to a friend who does some torrenting, and like we couldn't even find it there. No, you'd have to probably you know see if there are any leftover tapes from the QCI Entertainment, whatever the like company that filmed it in Newark. So if anybody knows anything about this show and can get us all sixty episodes box set, yes. Oh, or also I'm pretty sure it also aired uh, on on Channel Four in the UK. So yes, if yes. anybody has old eighties <laughs> old eighties VHS tapes of the street, uh let us know. We'd be 
fascinated. We we would love to sprinkle them in uh, throughout the rest of our right. Tucci anthology. Or if somehow, if Stanley Tucci gets word of this, and maybe he has some some old copies of something. Maybe send it to us. But also, after watching this particular episode, which is called They Drink Human Milk. Ooh. <laughs> Um, I don't necessarily want to see more of this show. Well, okay, no, okay. I don't think, I think you might be saying that you're not a real Tucci stan then, because... What? I think we're contractually obligated to love everything that, that he does, that he puts his heart and soul into. And I think his heart and soul is in this show. But that's the thing. I, ugh, I mean, I will suffer through for the Tucci. I will do that for him. But everything else about this show is garbage. And also, he's doing, like, the world's thickest accent. Like, thicker than his Miami Vice mobster. Thicker than the Equalizer. Like, it is almost incomprehensible. Though I'm also pretty sure that is partially due to the (laughs) audio quality on the kind that we watched. Oh, it's so... It's so Newark. It's you... You take the, you know, New Jersey Transit into Newark every day (laughs) and you you commute, but hey, you you know, it's home. And I'm a cap. And you're a cap. And Cory Booker and other Newark (laughs) things. Corrupt uh, Tony Soprano. Uh. It's just, it's, it's a lot. It's really, it's really just a lot. And it's like, clearly you got your Italian cop and your Polish cop and they're yeah. just hanging out and they're buddies. And so this particular episode is Tucci's wife is pregnant. So they're putting in like a linoleum floor in his basement while the wives are upstairs like chatting about the horrors of pregnancy. And it's a very strange episode. There's just random cuts between the two of them. Well, it's all shot on one video camera for like, yeah. you know, a couple thousand bucks an episode. Like, very, very cheap. And they're just in their house, natural lighting, very dark. And it's like gritty. I don't know. It's like, you say it's bad, Hannah, but it's it's on that fine line to me between bad and art, you know? It's like, this is real. This is not corporate television. This is like a passion project where <laughs> it's just these two, like, dummies, these two, like, poor Poorly educated uh, Newark cops just talking uh-huh. about their men, their masculine insecurities about being new fathers. Like, <laughs> there's something kind of like cinema verite about that. I don't know. It's good. I don't know. Like, it's I I didn't love it because it felt like so many bad one act plays that I've seen in my life. It's very that it's very theater. That's what it, that's what it reminds me of yeah. so much. Is is like. Yeah, amateur theater kind of thing, which is very right. Tucci's, you know, style. He, you know, the the subtleties of the performance. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I don't know. Like, clearly, I, I, I feel like they were like, they wanted it to be this naturalistic kind of feel because there's no music and like zero scoring throughout the entire thing. Right. Well, there's also no budget. So that's part of it. I, yes, that's for sure part of it. But just like, you know, they don't even use like public domain kind of generic stuff. Well, they do have that one, uh, that theme song that goes like, do bop, do bop, do do little do bop. Like drama Seinfeld. It's very strange. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know. There's a lot of like fun like lines in here. Like some very New Jersey lines. Yeah, what are your favorite lines? There's uh, there's one where they're talking about the halftime at the Giants-Redskins game. That's when he got me pregnant. Uh, I thought he was Brent Musburger. (laughs) 
And then there's a joke that he makes like, uh, you know, Catholic girls, they, they go crazy when they're, uh, when they're pregnant, you know, because they're thinking can't get any more pregnant. <laughs> I just love the whole discussion about having sex with your wife while she's pregnant and Stanley Tucci being like, I don't want to come on my baby. And the other guy's like... <laughs> You know, some guys are really into that. They uh, they find women extra attractive when they're pregnant. And I'm like, are we just really talking about pregnancy fetishes? Like, on this 20-minute, like, I don't even know. What do you think Italian cubs talk about when they're not busting heads? <laughs> I, I guess pregnancy fetishes, but, like, do I need to watch this? Like, it's just so bizarre. I don't, it's just, like, you don't make TV about the real being a cop things the real being a cop things are like being a dumb guy and being like completely uninformed about things and not bothering to educate yourself so like all the other cop shows like miami vice are like glorifying the police state and over here there's the street giving us the real skinny on how all cops are just completely uninformed about female anatomy and parenthood and they're just like don't let me into that gross delivery room. It's, uh, it's gross. I'm going to get goo on me. <laughs> it's interesting because the one cop is like, no, man, you want to be in there. But then later in the episode, he's like, oh, yeah, and you can give her the little, like, husband stitch. The doctor will sew it back up uh, nice and tight. And it's like, <laughs> bro, like, what? What is you happening? You ever hear about an episiotomy? <laughs> <laughs> Like, what the? What are you talking about? I I watched this with someone else and I had to explain to them what both an episiotomy was and the husband stitch. And they were like, I'm never sleeping again. This is terrifying. (laughs) Oh, God. But, like, it's not like the the wife characters are any, like, less cringe, you know? Oh, no. They're clearly written by these male Miami Vice writers and they're like, Oh, yeah. Well, because the one woman doesn't do anything encouraging about the pregnancy. She's just like, Here's all the horror shit I wish everyone else told me. It's gonna hurt, and I never stop worrying now that, like, my son is born. And this is just life now. But it's fine. You'll go through it. It'll be good. Right, (laughs) but then there also, there's lines, there's just more bizarre lines. Like, just, I read that there was a two-headed baby in South America. You think they gave it one name or two? Oh, and they say breastfeeding. That's like nothing else. Well, unless you dated Tony Renetti in high school. Oh, my God. God, yeah. Because <laughs> he uh, loves. And then also, like, my husband is so jealous when I breastfeed our son. And it's like, oh. Written by men. Written by men. Um, but the, the task that they're trying to accomplish while they're doing this <laughs> is they're installing a freaking linoleum floor in their basement. And they're and do, making so all these boring. jokes about measure twice, cut once. Uh, what are you, a nun? <laughs> oh my god. But so much of the episode is just devoted to the actual process of like reading directions on like the wet cement for like how to... The, the cock, like, yeah. And yeah, they're making so jokes like... like what is it a controlled substance am i gonna have to bust you up and send you to the clink for the cock because it's uh you know a bunch of white powder get it what are you a linoleumologist yeah so this one is wild i can't imagine what the other like 60 episodes of this show are like i'd imagine (laughs) that it's a lot of like you know scripted versions of the show cops you know like just one camera just following these cops around as they go around and just arrest like one guy or sit 
on watch in front of a convenience store or do stuff right. like that. And just shoot the shit. Yeah, and just shoot the shit. But we will we'll never know because it's all gone. It's all lost media. All gone. All we have left is they drink human milk, which is the most horror esque title. Well it's a joke. I mean, I know, but like it's just so strange. It's like it's like they drink human blood. I think that is a title of something. And then yeah. you replace blood with milk, and now you're milk. talking about a baby. You are talking about a baby. I don't know. We're talking babies here. It's Tucci baby talk time. Yeah. It's, it's, it is what it is. It is what it is. Do you want to wrap up with some Tucci news? Some breaking Tucci news? Tucci news. We'll, right, we'll pick comes, a theme song one of these days. <laughs> we'll definitely we'll definitely figure one out. Or we'll just keep making, you know, sort of improvised jazz themes. Yeah, please tweet at us. At Talking Tropes. Let us know what you prefer. <laughs> so this one comes straight out of the Daily Beast uh, from senior entertainment reporter Kevin Fallon, uh, which with the, the very in our style kind of headline for the entertainment section. Yeah. Cast gay actors in gay roles, parentheses, unless it's Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. <laughs> we stand them. And uh, the, we'll just read the article or, or this particular uh, op-ed just because it's, it's so short. Yeah. Uh, but the title of this section is Cry with Straight Men, Me. Cast gay actors in gay roles, also me. Unless it's Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth in this movie that will absolutely destroy me. <laughs> Which is, the again, the energy that we love to see. Very much our energy. If you if you want to come on this show and talk about Supernova, we will. We would love to have you. We would love it, Kevin. Please, Mr. <laughs> Fallon. Grace us with your stanitude. Um, I'll, I'll take it from here. Uh, yeah. I can't explain why the rules are such that the Tooch and Sir Furthy forever get a free pass in the debate over whether it matters that straight actors are constantly cast in gay romances. While there is no such thing as an out gay movie star or romantic lead. Hint, it matters, but it is an unimpeachable truth. Tucci and Firth, who previously delivered iconic performances as gay men in Oscar-nominated films The Devil Wears Prada and Single Man, as well as the egregiously <laughs> Oscar-snubbed masterpiece Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, can play gay. Yes. Yes, can play gay all they want, and I won't be mad about it. Gays can be hypocrites, too. It's called equal rights. In any case, the trailer for a film called Supernova came out this week in which a couple played by the duo take an RV trip across England to Bond as Tucci's character starts to succumb to dementia, becoming less lucid with each week. I want to be remembered for who I was and not who I'm about to become, Tucci says at one point in the trailer, specifically the point at which I let out an involuntary sharp yelp and spewed tears out of my eyeballs like someone ran a wrecking ball through the wall of the Hoover Dam. Um, and this <laughs> so, is what we're so about. Uh, please go watch the trailer for Supernova. It looks great. Um, we're eagerly anticipating getting to it in our watch through. Um, maybe, maybe we'll even do like a super sneak peek and and just throw supernova in uh whenever it comes out <laughs> but yeah i i'm very excited to watch 
Stanley Tucci succumb to dementia and cry about it. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> that's all the Tucci we have for today. Thank you to Kevin Fallon for your wonderful article. We were happy to share it. Mwah, Thank mwah. you to Tucci for all of the great acting that you've given us, all of the incredible criminals and cops that you've portrayed in just yes. your first few years on television. <laughs> yeah. The 80s definitely pigeonholed you a little bit, but we're looking forward towards the next few few weeks as we continue to dig through and uh, start getting to some meatier things. Some meatier Tucci rolls. To go with that nice uh, sautéed onion and basil. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, see you later, Tooch heads. We'll catch you on the on the Tucci table. On the on the flip Tooch. On the Tooch flip. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. but that's that guy from the Hunger Games. Transformers: The Last Night. Beauty and the Beast and Spotlight. Writer and director of Big Night. But it's not about winning and losing. It's about getting elected. I don't want to come on my baby.